this is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. That is the next to last time I will ever say that. (laughs) I'm fully doing the, you know, last day of school senior year. Like, oh my God, this is the last time I'm going to do this. Oh my God, this is the last time I'm going to do this. I'm a sentimental fool. Okay, whatever. I'm going to light a candle and some incense, because why not? I do this at the beginning of most of my uh, YouTube videos. Where is my little metal plate thing? Just set that down over there and make sure nothing gets set on fire. Okay, cool. So we have to do the vampire blood incense, which is my current favorite. I'm getting to that point, four years old, and I like know what I like and buy it in bulk. <laughs> I bought like a whole case on Amazon of vampire blood incense. And also, I just had to, for all you stationary nerds out there, this might be fun and interesting for everyone else. You're just going to be like, oh my God, what the fuck is she talking about? But I have very specific pin needs. So I like a purple pin. 0.7 millimeter Sharpie S gel pen is the pen that I like for really any purpose except when I write in my planner. My planner is a Hobonichi Weeks and it's like this special, um, it has a special rice paper or something. Oh no, it's called Tomoe River paper or something. I think it's like, it's kind of like rice paper. Um, so it's really just like the 0.7 millimeter purple pen that I prefer does not really work with my planner. I used to use Sharpie pens, just called Sharpie pen, but I don't think they exist anymore. I haven't been able to find them in purple. It has to be purple. I still have a few left that I haven't completely dried up, but they used to be good for every purpose. But now I have to have two separate kinds of pen. I have to have the Sharpie S gel for journaling or any other writing. And then for my planner specifically, I have to use a 0.5 millimeter. Um, Right now I'm using, what is it? I don't know what it is, but it's it's purple and it's 0.5. And it's not my favorite, so I'm not loyal to whatever brand that is. But (laughs) anyway, while I was taking notes for this episode, it's one, two, three, four, four full pages. One of my pens ran out and then I got a second one and then it ran out. And then I got a third one, but it was like this terrible paint color. So I took it downstairs with all the like, you know, miscellaneous pens that we keep in the kitchen that don't matter. Anyway, the point is, 
the point is I've gotten to a point in my life where like my whole life I've just used whatever pens were sitting around. I always preferred purple, but like I would use whatever ballpoint gel, whatever, whatever was around. And I just realized like, I don't know, a year ago that I'm allowed to be specific. I don't have to just use whatever's laying around or whatever's free at the bank. I can buy my own pens. <laughs> so as I was like taking notes for this Buffy episode and after running out of ink and two different pens, I was like, you know what, motherfuckers, <laughs> I say randomly to no one, um, I'm going to order a 12 pack of the Sharpie S gel purple pens because yeah, I really like them. Someone gave me one, a friend gave me an, a Sharpie S gel pen. It was like, you need to try this. And yeah, it ran out of ink. So my God, good story, right? Shit. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, I forgot to read the Nikki Stafford episode guide. Let's read it together. Shall we just for fun? And I usually don't do that. I usually read the entire like episode guide entry. Oh no, this one's really long. Okay. I'm not going to read that all to you. I'll have to pause, but, um, I will read you the, um, the like introductory stuff. So end of days is the name of this episode. Original air date, May 13th, 2003. Written by Doug Petrie and Jane Espenson, and directed by Marita Grabiak. So that's a female director. It's pretty cool. Guest cast, uh, whatever, doesn't matter. Um, okay, here's the description. As Buffy and the gang prepare for the upcoming battle, Buffy receives the last part of the puzzle that tells her where she came from and why she's the chosen one. Uh, no, no, not really, no. Okay, I'm going to pause now and read just to see if there's anything else I want to share with you from the episode guide. Okay, this part's interesting. Um, and the, So I'm getting ahead of myself, you know, obviously, but, you know, I'm assuming that you recently saw the episode and that's why you're listening to this, you know. Um, Buffy tells Xander that his strength has gotten her this far and she has a mission for him. He needs to get Dawn far away from the battle because she doesn't want Dawn to get hurt. This action appears to be the fulfillment of the pro prophetic words Dawn heard in conversations with dead people. Quote, in the end, Buffy won't choose you. I thought that too, and I was going to mention that in my notes. But then Nikki Stafford says, Then again, the writers have since stated that the image of Joyce in that episode was the first, not a heavenly vision that was looking out for Dawn's best interests. So they never clarified it in the course of the show, but apparently they clarified it in like interviews or something. Cool. Okay, I'm going to read this part too, just because I had the same thought and was going to make the same point. Maybe I'm missing something, but Buffy tells Giles that the scythe kills strong bodies three ways. We know it can stake and the sharp end can slice. What's the third way? I also was just like, what? How are there three ways? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I think she's going to say something. 
And when Dawn says she hasn't left crossbows out since that incident with Miss Kitty Fantastico, is that a sick way of saying that we don't see the cat anymore because she was staked? I hope not. <laughs> me too. Okay, let me just um, do a little aside for a second. The whole thing with Miss Kitty Fantastico. Okay, well, never mind. I'll, I'll get to it when I get to it in my notes. How about that? Okay, there was just a mistake in the uh, Nikki Stafford episode guide, and so I had to cross it out and write in the correct thing. <laughs> My God. <laughs> okay, are we ready? Okay, first of all, I was so delirious from heat last week that I forgot to tell you the my ratings for the last episode <laughs> I did tell you the object of the episode which was the Mary statue this is so we're going back to touched outfit of the episode was Willow's I wrote it down that she got outfit of the episode but I can't remember right this very second what her outfit was I think it was like sort of a rusty brown long sleeve maybe bell sleeved with some beading on it shirt and a skirt that kind of matched like maybe it was dark brown or something I can't remember but I remember thinking that Willow got outfit of the episode um, quote of the episode again from last week was Spike's whole speech you know the speech that led to the cuddle <laughs> the you're a hell of a woman speech um, MVP of the episode I gave to Faith because she got to be in charge for a second. And she did a great job. Five by five, I gave last week's episode a four out of five. Okay, now let's talk about end of days. The episode starts with Buffy. Buffy pulls the... So we pick up right where we left off, I think. Um, we had just seen the scythe. Buffy walks up to it pulls it out of the solid rock immediately, even though it doesn't look like solid rock at all, but whatever. And um, Caleb is like, well, let's see if you can pull it out of solid rock before I get over there. And then she does immediately. And he is immediately scared and starts backing away. Um, the... Buffy as the first starts talking to Caleb saying, hey, let her go, let her go, because it's scared too that she has the weapon. Um, and then it decides to let Buffy hear what it's saying. And she basically just lets Buffy know that um, Faith is in danger. She just says, Faith, go boom. And so Buffy immediately runs out, gets her out of there. Um, and then we get to, we go to where the potentials are. So the bomb has just gone off and every, there's wreckage everywhere. And like some people are dead, I think. And, um, Nikki Stafford in the episode guide, 
just, I'm glad I didn't read it out loud, but she was basically like bitching. I thought more of these potentials would be dead. They're so whiny, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, she's disappointed them, not more. I mean, I don't think we actually see like, or it's never really stated, but we do see some people that are like under rubble and not moving. So it can be assumed that some girls died in this battle. Um, the potentials are just kind of like they're finding each other, they're gathering together, they are making it a point to find Faith. I think that was mostly Kennedy to make sure she's okay. And she's like in a pool of water, a la Buffy season one. Um, they pull her out of the water and she is breathing, but she's unconscious. So they're carrying, trying to carry her out when a bunch of Turok Hans, three of them, and that's the like Neanderthal vampires from earlier in the season, the one that Buffy couldn't kill for like a few episodes and then finally she did. And they're like nearly impossible to kill and there's a whole army of them in the Hellmouth that Buffy saw in a vision that she hasn't told anyone about yet, but we're going to see that actually come to fruition in the next episode. But anyway, um, there's three of them against all the potentials and they're, several of them are wounded, you know, but they've got to fight and they're lining up in a row and Kennedy's kind of taken over, um, since Faith is unconscious. And, um, luckily Buffy shows up just in time because the Turrican was about to kill Kennedy and it had already killed one of the potentials. Um, or there were three of them. They had already killed one of the potentials and Buffy shows up and she takes out, I mean, the fighting is just like non-existent in most of this episode, which made it a really enjoyable episode for me because they're putting a lot more emphasis on the fight scenes being like quick and well choreographed. And they're using, you know, a really good, like obvious, like copying off the matrix score. Um, so yeah, the, the fight scenes are pretty great in like the last episode and this one, and they are great in the last, last one next week as well. Um, so Buffy shows up, she takes out, she's got her new weapon. She takes out the Turakons in like two seconds. So you barely even have to see a fight, which is always good for me. <laughs> she beheads them and stakes them real quick. Maybe takes out strong bodies in three ways, meaning, you know, you can slice, behead, and stake. I don't know. Maybe that's the three ways. <laughs> then we're back at the house. Andrew has just come back from the grocery store. Um, like everything in Sunnydale is abandoned. So he was able to just loot the grocery store. He comes back with a bunch of stuff. And Giles gets all excited about Jaffa cakes, which I now know what those are. They're at our local um, Aldi German, um, it's a German, I think it's, yeah, grocery store. It's not just German food, but it's, you know, German in origin, um, but it's a chain. And um, why am I explaining to you guys what Aldi is? You probably know. <laughs> anyway, uh, Michael gets the Jaffa cakes. They're like, it's like a jelly with a little cakey cookie thing and it's covered in chocolate. I don't really like it, but they come in like several different, like there's orange Jaffa cakes and raspberry and like, you know, 
I, they're not really for me, but Michael loves them. So it was just funny to see Giles be like, ooh, Jaffa cakes, and he puts it in his mouth immediately. It was just like this cute little childlike Giles moment that we got. Um, oh, my next note was Buffy saves the girl. So I guess we jumped back and forth there between the two different scenes, and I just skipped ahead when I said that Buffy saves the girls. Um, and I also wrote, Scythe makes cool swishing sounds. It really was cool how they added those little sound effects whenever she was using the weapon. Um, this weapon first showed up in, yeah, it was definitely before Buffy. I'm pretty sure there was like a, a one-off like series of comic books. It was just like one little like five issue series that fit into one graphic novel about a vampire slayer from the future called Frey. Interestingly, at this time, they, since it was before the Buffy show had ended, it came out in like 2002 or 2001 or something like that. Um, they weren't, it wasn't a future where there was an army of slayers because I guess they didn't know that they were going to do that on Buffy yet or whatever. I don't know how they retconned that plot situation. But anyway, this particular comic book series was about a slayer from a dystopian future and her name was Frey and she did have this weapon. Um, so they decided to put it in Buffy, which they would have had to create the weapon from the comic book. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just kind of just a silly little nerd thing. Cause at the time I actually had already read the Frey comic book series. Um, and then, and then I got to see the weapon on the show in person. At least that's the way I remember it. So I'm pretty sure that's true, but you know, that was 20 fucking years ago. Anyway, where are we? She kills the Turok Hans real fast. Um, the wounded are all back at the house. They all show up, um, back at the house. Um, somebody says to Buffy, like, so are you back now? And Buffy's like, I don't know. And Kennedy says, we were wrong. We were wrong. We followed her and it went badly or something like that. Um, because girls died or whatever. And Buffy said, that was a trap. It wasn't Faith's fault. So she's defending Faith, which the only reason why I note this is because she's just been such a bitch about Faith since she got back. So like... I could see Buffy being petty in this moment and not defending Faith, um, but she doesn't. She does. She defends Faith, and I thought that was cool. Um, then we get like a funny little scene between the core four. So that's Buffy, Giles, Willow, Xander. Um, they've carried Faith into Buffy's bedroom, I think. I think it's Buffy's bedroom, and just like put her on the bed, and. Um, so she could lay there. She's still unconscious from the bomb. Um, and so they're all talking like, what, what is the scythe? Blah, blah, blah. And it's just kind of a funny scene. They're, they're shooting it like they have shot jaunty little scenes between the four of them before, particularly this is going back to the end of the Harvest, which was the second episode of Buffy ever. 
Um, and they're going to do another callback to that scene in the next episode as well. But this was a little bit reminiscent of that scene. Just this whole, like, quippy back and forth between the four of them. Like, camera angles going back and forth. And, like, you know, it's it's kind of a jaunty mood all of a sudden. Suddenly there's a jaunty mood and everybody's forgiven each other. So this is my biggest pet peeve about, you know, this whole the last two episodes thing you know everybody has been fighting and everybody Buffy has her has cut herself off so thoroughly from everyone that she loves and we we get like little moments that let you know that everybody's cool now which at least we get that but I wanted those moments to have a little bit more gravity to them so like there's this exchange between, for example, there's this exchange between Giles and Buffy in this scene. So they're all standing around in the bedroom, Faith's unconscious on the bed, and they're talking about the side. Like, what is this? It's obviously very powerful. Buffy sort of says, I could, there was something, mis- there's something mystical about it. I could tell that it was mine when I held it, um, when I hold it or whatever. Um, and then Giles says, understandably, I just can't imagine how something like this could exist without me having heard of it. And Buffy says, well, the good guys aren't exactly known for their communication skills. And then she sort of gives Giles a knowing, a sort of like apologetic look. And then you see him kind of take that in for like a nanosecond. And that's all we get. After she slammed the door in his face, after he tried to conspire to get Spike killed after he conspired to get Spike killed. It just didn't work. And Buffy slammed the door in his face and told him that she didn't need a watcher anymore or some shit. That tiny little moment was all we get between Watcher and Slayer. Between Buffy and Giles, that's their makeup moment. That pissed me off. They deserved better than that. You know, we have a whole... No, mind you, I love the scenes between Anya and Andrew. But... The, but... <laughs> we get, like, two scenes in this episode between Anya and Andrew talking. We don't have time for Buffy and Giles to have a real makeup moment. I'm wondering, truly... Because this entire season, anytime Giles is in an episode, it says, you know, special guest star, Anthony Stewart Head. So I'm wondering if all the scenes with Giles had to be filmed at a different time and they had to just get him in quick succession because he's not at, or maybe there's certain rules about like, if you're a special guest star, quote unquote, you can't have more than like x amount of lines or something i do not understand it because it is bonkers to me that they didn't get a real makeup scene or that we didn't even get like a real i mean maybe it's coming in the very last episode maybe we actually get a meaningful moment between buffy and giles but i don't think we do and that's upsetting because that means that their last meaningful exchange in the show was them fighting. I don't like that. 
I'm just gonna pause and take a second to calm down, okay? Okay, page two of four of my notes. I'm talking slow today. <laughs> so the first scene in this episode between Anya and Andrew, um, they're like, you know, trying to patch up the wounds of the wounded and all of that stuff. Um, and Andrew suggests, you know, he's like, they need better stuff. They need like bandages and like actual medicine and blah, blah, blah. Um, and he suggests that they go to the hospital because the hospital will probably be abandoned and unguarded just like the grocery store was so they can get whatever supplies they need. So he volunteers that Anya go with him and drive. And there's, I felt so bad for this extra that was in this scene because she's, she's wounded and Anya's like trying to dress her burns and things like that. And she looks like she has a broken leg and all this stuff. And Anya keeps saying things like, all these girls are going to die. And then she, the poor girl is just like, what? She has to say, what? Three different times in this scene. That's her only line. And she has to say it three times. I just feel bad for her. Like they didn't give her much to do except just being incredulous and wounded. Poor thing. Anyway. Um, let's see. Buffy. Okay. So then we get this conversation between Buffy and Xander. So this is the moment of Buffy and Xander kind of making up. Um, and again, there's no apology. And I mean, it's, it's okay. I mean, there doesn't need to necessarily be an apology. Like I would love to actually hear Buffy say she's sorry about Xander's eye and all of that stuff. But they, I get that they don't have time. You know, the world is ending. They don't have time for this shit. But this conversation serves as the apology from Buffy, I guess, because she tells Xander that he is her strength. And I wrote, Buffy's telling Xander to do something, but we don't know what. Um, he thinks that he's being put out to pasture, quote unquote. This is their moment? <laughs> yeah, that was my, that was my note. Um, also, also, 12 minutes in to this episode. This is fully, I'm pretty sure, episode four of Buffy wearing the same goddamn outfit. But 12 minutes into this episode, she is now fucking finally wearing a different outfit. Um, her hair's pulled back. She has this little flower that I can tell you for a fact, it looks like a vinyl flower, like black vinyl or black leather or pleather or something. I can tell you for a fact, I had that exact same little flower and it came from a shoe. It was like some sort of situation where like the flower could clip onto the shoe, but you could also clip it off of the shoe and put it in your hair if you wanted to. <laughs> I had that exact flower. So she has a little, this little vinyl flower in her hair. Her hair is pulled back in a ponytail. Some extensions are involved or something, I think. It looks really cute. Her makeup is done really well. She's wearing a denim jacket that actually fucking fits her on like that stupid brown leather thing she's been wearing for the last several episodes. 
I don't know what the fuck her rest of her outfit is, but she just the denim jacket and her hair pulled back. She looks good. She looks good. I I mean, I think she looks good mostly because it's something different, <laughs> but also this outfit actually fits her and her hair looks good. So they've got the, everybody's hair looks good in this episode, actually. So they must have like paid their hair and makeup people better or actually had them on set this time as opposed to like several other episodes in the season where like nobody looked good everybody looks good in this episode (laughs) anyway she says you're my strength xander i trust you with my life and that's what she says that is kind of her apology i guess Uh, and that's what melts him because he's whatever it is that she's asking him to do, which we don't know at this point. Um, He's saying he doesn't want to do it because it means that he won't really be in the fight. In the fight, quote unquote. Um, Next note, Willow and Giles researching the scythe online. So this is, they're now in Willow's room, but it's just Willow and Giles. And Willow's on the computer looking at some like, really really old looking website like even for 2003 this website looks old (laughs) i think maybe i'm misremembering 2003 but um it's yeah it's kind of bad but they kind of have another yet another conversation willow are we not past this yet seriously um another conversation where like Giles sort of asks Willow, like, you could probably find out more about the scythe. I mean, this is not, this is just paraphrasing, but, you know, he basically says you could probably find out more about the scythe if you used magic to figure it out. And she still is saying that same old fucking line she's been saying all season long, which is, I'm afraid if I do that something bad will happen, blah, blah, blah. She says, I can barely, I can hardly do a locator spell without getting dark roots like dark roots in her hair because you know eyes turning black turning evil whatever and you know he's being gentle with her and he just says do what you can that's all any of us can do which is nice um nice for him to say but at the same time it's like willow we're past this i mean she's been doing magic she's been helping out um because she's needed to It's the fucking end of time here, guys. We need to get on board. It's an apocalypse. Like, Willow needs to be doing magic. Like, are we still on this? Seriously. But it was an interesting bookend because we started the season with um, Willow and Giles in England. And um, he was trying to help her harness her magic and, you know, stop being evil and all that shit. And so this was an interesting parallel here, I guess. But why are we getting the meaningful moment between Willow and Giles and not Buffy and Giles? What the fuck? Anyway, um, then we see um, Dawn is helping Xander look for a crossbow or something in his car. I guess he got her to help because, you know, he has trouble seeing now or something. I, I mean, obviously this is a ruse because he ends up chloroforming her and getting her in the car and then driving off. Um, Dawn. <laughs> it, okay. 
here's where I got to go on a little Miss Kitty Fantastico rant. Okay? Are you ready? Okay, I'm pausing to take a drink before I start the story. Okay. So, <laughs> if you remember, and you may not, don't feel bad if you don't, there was a tiny little black kitten, season four, that Tara and Willow had adopted together. It was like a symbol that their relationship was getting closer because at the time we couldn't fucking see them kiss. So they just got a cat instead <laughs> or something. Um, and they, it was this whole thing. It, really, it was Tara that had adopted the cat, but like Willow was helping her take care of it and stuff like that. It was their cat together conceptually. And they, there was this whole plot point of like them not knowing what they wanted to name the cat, blah, blah, blah. And they decided to, eventually they decided to name her Miss Kitty Fantastico. So here's the, and then we, we see the cat like a couple of episodes. She's in the, one of the dream sequences in Restless. I think just Willow's dream sequence, but she's in the dream sequence of Restless at the very end of season four. We never see her again after that, I'm pretty sure. And there was no explanation for her absence. She was just no longer there. Which is a pretty big oversight, in my opinion. Because <laughs> she's a familiar. That was the whole point. Like, they were, they were witches and they got a cat. They adopted a cat together. You know, witches, lesbians, adopt a cat together. It was their familiar, etc. Like, seriously we couldn't just show a black cat every once in a while and call it miss kitty fantastico come on why <laughs> anyway so here's the quote from don to xander before he chloroforms her i don't leave crossbows around lying around willy-nilly not since that time with kitty fantastico and that's it it's just a throwaway line just to like explain what happened with Miss Kitty, Kitty Fantastico. I mean, first of all, that's really, you know, kind of shocking and brutal and flippant and whatever. But beyond even that, beyond even that, how would this work logically? Okay, come with me on a journey. We know Dawn is a character that was inserted at the beginning of season five Literally, she did not exist in the world of Buffy before this moment. And monks had messed with everyone's memories so that they would all have the backstory of Dawn, as if Dawn had always been there. So we never saw Miss Kitty Fantastico again, starting season five, which is when Dawn showed up. Which means... If Dawn accidentally killed Miss Kitty Fantastico, it would have had to have been before Dawn ever showed up in their lives, which means all they really have is a memory of Dawn killing Miss Kitty Fantastico. So what really fucking happened to Miss Kitty Fantastico? You know what I'm saying? IRL what really happened because Dawn couldn't have killed her when she didn't exist. I get that they inserted these memories. Did the monks have to use, did they have to sacrifice Miss Kitty Fantastico for some reason in order to create Dawn? 
I want to know if there are other fan theories about Miss Kitty Fantastico. I, yeah, it's, this, this is breaking my brain. This, this explanation does not work. <laughs> okay, I'll stop talking about that now. Um, then we get a scene between Buffy slash the first and Caleb. We see that, um, the reason that he's so powerful is because the first has a way of like mystically infusing him with power. And we have seen in another episode, I think it was the last episode, the, the Buffy first had said something like, um, you're the only man strong enough to be my vessel. So this is, I guess, how that's happening. Um, it sort of enters him somehow. He looks like he's having an orgasm and then he's more powerful afterwards. So there you go. Um, Faith is awake. And then we get a scene between Faith and Buffy. So this is sort of the, you know, Buffy kind of has to like take turns with every single character and have a meaningful moment right now <laughs> kind of thing. So this is the meaningful moment between Buffy and Faith. I'm glad they had one. Should have been Buffy and Giles. Maybe it's happening in the next episode and I just don't remember it. It has been a while. So I'm going to stop harping on that just in case we do get it in the next episode, but I'm pretty sure we don't. Um, so Faith is holding the scythe and when we show up and she says it's old and strong and it it feels like it's mine. And then she just like takes a beat and she's like, so I guess that means it's yours. <laughs> and then she hands it or doesn't hand it to Buffy, but she just sort of like drops it down on the bed and kind of throws it down on the bed. Um, so there's Faith just like without a moment's pause, giving the power quote unquote back to Buffy, you know, cause it was kind of a question when Buffy showed back up again, like, is she going to take command again? Is she going to you know, like, which Slayer is going to lead? Like, obviously we all know it's going to be Buffy, but, um, they had to have this conversation, I guess. And that was Faith just sort of handing the torch essentially back to Buffy. Um, and Buffy, whatever Faith says, so I guess that means it's yours. Buffy says it belongs to the Slayer, meaning it belongs to both of them. Right. Um, and then Faith is like, you know, talking about how she really fucked up and, you know, because it was a trap, the thing that she led them into, whatever. And Buffy tells her what she said to Kennedy. I think it was Kennedy. What she says to Kennedy, said to Kennedy early in the episode, she says, it wasn't your fault. You lead people into battle, girls get killed. It's not your fault. Um... And then they just kind of, you know, <clears throat> they have a good moment of just sort of like, since they're the only slayers, they're the only ones that know what the specific slayer pain and the aloneness, um, all that shit. They're the only ones that get to know what that feels like. So they have, you know, a connecting moment in this conversation and faith has a little speech kind of, she, she tells Buffy, you know, she doesn't say the words lone wolf, but she's like, you know, I've always been alone and I came here, met you, saw what you have. And I was jealous. 
which we know. We know Faith's been jealous of Buffy, of course. And she said whenever she was, you know, the boss of all the potentials is the point in her life when she has felt the most alone. Um, and then she looks at Buffy and says, and that's you every day, isn't it? So Buffy's finally getting like somebody that knows her specific struggle. Um, I mean, it's a bit contrived that Faith would feel that and pick up on that after like two days, but whatever. Maybe, maybe it was really longer than that. I don't know. But this is a good conversation for the two of them to have, despite the fact that it feels rushed to me. But, you know, it's a good conversation for them to have. And she's just like, and that's you every day, isn't it? And Buffy's like, I mean, she doesn't really say yes, but she just says, you know, like, well, that's kind of the deal or something like that. Um, the loneliness of being a slayer. And Faith's like, well, there's not supposed to be two of us. You know, we're not supposed to exist at the same time. Maybe that's why we can't get along. Um, which is, you know, sweet, cute, whatever. But like, I don't know. I just, I mean, you guys know if you have listened to this podcast before today, that I just, I wish I could have seen a lot more of Buffy and Faith just being on each other's side. You know, if this were actually a feminist show, which it's not, as I've said many times before, but if it actually were, you would have gotten a lot more Buffy Faith time, I think. Um, and a lot more Buffy Willow time too. But anyway, that's whatever. It is what it is. Um, and then they end the scene with just, you know, funny quips. Faith is just like, thank God we're hot chicks with superpowers. And Buffy's like, takes the edge off. That's ridiculous, but whatever. And then we get the meaningful scene between Spike and Buffy immediately afterwards. Spike shows up at the house because I guess he was looking for Buffy. Honey, you're home, he says, which is cute. Um, and you know, he, it's just kind of awkward for a second. Like, you know, Spike being like, okay, we don't have to make a big thing about last night or whatever. And then he's like walks off and Buffy follows him and says this referring to the side that she has in her hands, this entire, um, scene, which is kind of funny because like Sarah Michelle Gellar, I don't know exactly how tall she is, but she's probably like five, two or something. And holding this weapon you know, we see like a couple of wide shots where you get to see her standing right next to James Marsters slash bike. And, um, I think genuinely he's only like a few inches taller than her. I don't think he's very tall. I wonder, I bet I could look that up really quick, actually. Okay. That was easy. <laughs> Just Siri that shit. Sarah Michelle Geller is five, four and James Marsters is five, seven. So yeah. Um, Okay. Next question though. How tall is David Boreanaz? Okay. Hold on. Okay. Yeah. And, um, David Boreanaz is six feet tall. So yeah, that makes sense. Like, cause I know that like they probably put Buffy, like made her like stand on a fucking crate or something in scenes with, um, David Boreanaz slash angel. But so that's interesting. James Marsters is 5'7", which means he's actually only an inch taller than me. That's kind of cool. 
Anyway. Um, okay. So anyway, in the wide shot, when she's holding the weapon, it's like fucking half her height as she's holding it. It's so huge. So, I mean, that means it's gotta be like a little over, probably close to three feet long. I mean, I guess that makes sense as a weapon, but it just kind of looks funny because she's so tiny anyway. Like not only is she short, I mean, not that short if she's five, four, but, um, not only is she kind of short, but like also she's just, just, it's so petite, so petite at this point in her life. Okay, now I want to know how tall Faith is. <laughs> okay. 5'5". Five, five. But that doesn't seem right. She seems a lot taller than Sarah Michelle Gellar, not just an inch. Hmm, I'm not sure if I believe that. I bet she's actually taller. Anyway, not the point. <laughs> Don't know why I'm getting caught up on that. Okay, where are we? Um, okay, so Buffy kind of chases after Spike because he starts to just like awkwardly leave. Um, and she says to him, this, referring to the weapon, this might be the key to everything. And the reason I'm holding it is because of you, because of the strength you gave me last night. And... Spike then, you know, like lets his guard down a little bit. And he says, last night was the best night of my life. So they're having a very meaningful exchange here. And at, at one, you know, he kind of says that he has done a lot of things in this vampire life, blah, blah, blah. But he's never been close to anyone is what he says. I call bullshit on this because fucking Drusilla. Hello, Drusilla, love of his goddamn life, his sire, Drusilla. Remember her? Like, he did absolutely love her. You're telling me they never had a whole night of cuddling and gazing into each other's eyes? Really? Really? I mean, I guess if we're using the argument that a vampire without a soul can't really love but that's not how they fed us the narrative of Spike and Drusilla. We were supposed to think that they were very much in love. So I call a little bit of bullshit on this because I think that's a bit of a slight to Drusilla, the love of his life. Okay. I'm just saying. <laughs> and Spike, at one point, he just kind of looks at Buffy and says, were you there with me? Meaning, did you feel what I felt? And she says, I was. So that is very sweet. Super sweet exchange. Um, it doesn't mean she loves him, mom. But she could. And she knows that she could. She knows there's a possibility that she could love him in the future. Um, and that was a meaningful exchange and a meaningful night that they had together. And... I like it. You know, I'm not a spuffy shipper, as they call it. Um, Spike and Buffy. I'm I'm not a spuffy person, and I'm also not a bangel person. But I, as I've said many times before, I think Buffy, I only ship her with herself. Or maybe Faith. <laughs> not really. I mean, I do think that there is an alternate universe where like if 
Buffy and Faith were the only two Slayers in this generation. I don't think that they necessarily would be romantically involved, but if they could be like each other's person, if there was a comic book series of like an alternate universe where Buffy and Faith were the only two slayers and they were fighting together against the forces of darkness because they understood each other in a way that no one else could and they were roommates and best friends and like that would be so fucking cool someone write that doesn't have to be comics it could be just actually it would probably be better if it was just like a fiction like trilogy or something like book series man i'd be into that i wish i could write that <laughs> i guess i'm only 40 there's still time i could learn how to be a writer right <laughs> i'm gonna write that down buffy faith BFF Slayers Alternate Universe. So this would obviously be if the events of the next episode never took place when we get the whole army of Slayers. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Um, where are we? Okay, now we get another scene between Andrew and Anya. They're at the hospital now. Um, Anya says something about jaws and andrew just says you are the perfect woman and anya says i've often thought so <laughs> it's just the best oh my god they are great together you know despite the fact that i was bemoaning the fact that we have all these scenes between anya and andrew instead of having meaningful scenes with giles or whatever i still really enjoy these scenes between the two of them i do um, Anya has this cute little speech about how, like, the reason that she's staying this time, because she's run away during an apocalypse before. I think it was at the end of season three, she had left town. She had just started dating Xander and kind of dating. I mean, I guess they'd gone to the prom together at that point or something. I don't remember. Um, I think, was that their first date? Anyway, she had run away. And asked Sander to come with her. Um, but she left for the actual apocalypse. Um, and she's talking to Andrew about that in the scene. Like, yeah, I've left before. And humans are so dumb. They kill each other. They're so stupid. But when it's something that matters, they fight. They're stupid for doing it, but they do it. And she, she's basically saying that she admires that about them and she wants to fight alongside them right now, I guess. It's, it's like, it's like the last step in, in Anya's self-actualization, right? Like at the beginning of the season, she was trying to be a demon again and she just didn't like it anymore. She didn't want to be a demon anymore. So she needed to you know, one of the recurring themes in Buffy is morality. And with characters like Anya, like Faith, like Angel, they have done a lot of evil in their lives and they have to atone for it now. For whatever reason, they didn't give Spike the redemption path or the atonement path at all, although they kind of give him a little bit of that 
in season five of Angel, which we'll talk about at the end of this year, starting at the end of this year. Um, but yeah, they don't really give that to Spike. But anyway, it's a thing. You know, if you've done a lot of bad and you're good now, you have to atone for the evil that you did before. So that's kind of, this is the end of Anya's redemption path since, spoiler alert, she's going to die in the next episode, which is awful. But, you know, of course, we knew. Maybe we didn't know at the time, but this is something that Joss Whedon loves to do. He kills beloved characters. Um, I.e. Wash in the movie. <laughs> anyway. Um, so Anya gives that speech about humanity. Andrew basically says in this conversation, he's pretty sure he's not going to make it out of the fight alive. He's pretty sure, but he's okay with that. He, he wants to go out like one of those stupid humans fighting that, you know, Anya just talked about in the speech before. Um, and I think this is not the first time we hear him say this. Like, he is not expecting to make it. Because he's also on a redemption path to a certain extent. Um, then we see Buffy. I guess, I don't know. I guess she just is wandering around with the scythe in her hands in a cemetery. Just, like, waiting for the mystical whatever to lead her somewhere. We don't really see why we just see her walking around in a cemetery and then she decides to break into a mausoleum that has an Egyptian, um, sort of the Isis symbol with the red sun in the middle and the Isis wings, you know, you've seen that. Um, so it's like an Egyptian mausoleum. She just walks straight up to it, breaks it down. I'm sure she's seen this particular mausoleum a thousand times. Okay. So here's where I gotta be like, Okay, so she meets this guardian chick, which just looks like a gorgeous white witch, long gray hair. I have a, a weird little nitpicky question. She has like these funky little spots on the side of her face that looks like they put the wrong color foundation on little parts of her face. It looks very weird, and I don't know what that's about. The only thing I can think of is either that was their way of trying to make this woman look older or something. Cause she, to me, she looks like she's like in her early fifties, maybe like she's very beautiful too. Um, but I think we're supposed to think she's old and decrepit, but she's not, she's very beautiful. But anyway, um, these little weird patches of foundation on her face, I'm wondering if it's covering up tattoos because that would explain why it looks so fucking weird. <laughs> Have you guys ever noticed that? Are you just totally distracted by that? Like I am anyway. So Buffy meets this guardian person who says that, you know, they've been around since before the watchers and they watch the watchers and they protect the slayer from afar, blah, blah, blah. And I just, I call bullshit on all of this shit. I get why they did it. They were putting these guardians in at the last minute because I, there must've been some self-awareness in 2003 that 
the show wasn't quite as feminist as it wanted to be, you know? So they threw these guardians in there and they were like supposed to be a group of women that protect the Slayer. How? How do they protect the Slayer? How? We've never seen them until this moment. Buffy's been in plenty of apocalypses and should have gotten their help before now. If this particular weapon is supposed to be for the Slayer alone to wield, why isn't it passed down from Slayer to Slayer by these Guardians? I don't understand this whole, like, they're waiting until now. I mean, I get it if if she had said that. Like, if she had said, hey, this weapon is basically for end times. And maybe that is what she meant by what she was saying, and I just didn't pick up on it. This weapon is for end times. Because she did mention, how did she say it? Um, that that particular scythe was used to kill the last pure demon that walked the earth. And we've heard from the Buffy mythology before that pure demons do not exist on earth anymore. But they used to. Um, now all the demons that you see are like mixed with humans in some way. So they're distilled. They're not pure quote unquote demons. Um, and so, okay. If the scythe was used to kill the very last demons that walked the earth millennia ago, whenever that fucking happened, I guess, then I guess it makes sense that these guardians were guarding this weapon for all this time and waiting to release it again when another big huge battle happens again I guess but like I don't know it's just it's just stupid to think like that that just wouldn't happen there wouldn't be this like race of mystical guardians that just simply wait for millennia for the moment that they can hand this weapon over to the Slayer. It's just so stupid. I mean, I guess that's how fantasy narratives work, right? But like, no. (laughs) But I get why they threw these Guardians in there. Like, this is the only scene we get. This is the only mention of the Guardians. I ever remember seeing, maybe they're mentioned again in the comics at some point, I don't know, but it's just so stupid. It just pisses me off. It's just like, okay, we're really going to throw another character in here just to explain the scythe and to also have like this sort of race of mystical women that have existed since before the Watchers. So pretty cool right but if they were kind of the real watchers why weren't they involved in the slayer's life why haven't they saved other slayers if they're there because she says specifically she says something about we're here to guard the slayer protect the slayer protect and guard her blah 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 something i didn't write it down But if that's your fucking purpose, then you failed with every other fucking Slayer and you haven't showed up in Buffy's life until year eight of her being one. Like, what the fuck? Anyway, whatever. Gonna let that go and move on. I just 
think it's it feels like very rushed and thrown in there that they have these guardians it like last minute it just feels weird but whatever i support it if it was the decision of one of the female writers on cast at this po- on staff at this point like if they were like dude we need something that isn't just this watchers council that's just a fucking sausage fest can there be someone else how can we write in someone else i mean i get it from that standpoint they did their best but it doesn't feel very believable to me but anyway anyway one of those things that in future watchings of buffy like am i going to be thinking about that necessarily when i'm not being hypercritical of every single thing and taking notes maybe not so anyway guardian chick she doesn't really explain much she just says it's a weapon it's a scythe but it's more than a weapon it's actually like a big deal (laughs) like she doesn't really say anything but she says something to the effect of either way it means the end is near or something like that um and then caleb comes out of nowhere and breaks her neck and she did mention that she was the last of the guardians so we meet her just long enough she doesn't even say what her fucking name is she just says that she's a guardian and and if she's meant to be guarding and protecting the slayer if that's like her fucking purpose why doesn't she know that the current slayer the main current slayer who's been the slayer for eight years why doesn't she know that her name is buffy why does she have to ask her and then make a whole joke about like haha really what's your name oh it's actually buffy that's so funny really fuck anyway i just uh it just was a little dumb but anyway okay where are we um caleb shows up breaks a guardian's neck and then we get a fight between caleb and buffy and there's a moment where like caleb is looming over her and he's got the scythe and angel shows up kind of distracts him um just long enough um that he drops the scythe or something and that buffy gets in there whatever um and buffy like cuts the cuts caleb's like stomach or something and he falls down unconscious um i think we're supposed to think that he's dead but of course he's not he's gonna get up at the very beginning of the next episode and buffy's gonna kill him real quick but and then we're done with stupid caleb (laughs) this was my introduction to nathan fillion can you guys imagine um he's much more likable in other roles but i mean he wasn't supposed to be likable in this one so he did a good job (laughs) he did a good job being misogynist priest unfortunately but or fortunately you know because that's what he was supposed to do so he did a good job but (laughs) unfortunately because i don't want to see him that way um anyway so angel just kind of like stands back and watches as buffy slices caleb and they think he's dead i guess and then buffy starts making out with angel um which i think is i didn't find that to be like not believable it's the end of the world it's buffy's first love we did need to see him again um and they get a cute little scene at the beginning of the next episode 
and then he goes on his way. Um, and there's just, you know, weird petty jealousy shit because Spike is in the background. Spike is there and he sees this whole thing go down, which why? Cause he said something about, I mean, I guess it makes sense. Cause he told Buffy that he was going to go make sure that, um, Caleb was still at the, the vineyard. But I guess when he found that Caleb wasn't there, he probably picked up Buffy's scent and found her at this mausoleum. So it makes sense that he's there, I guess. But, and he's seeing Buffy kissing Angel, and of course he's very jealous. Um, but the whole, like, I've heard people say, like, why would she just start kissing him? Like, why? It makes sense to me. It just does. I'm not even, like, I don't give a shit about Angel and Buffy, but, like, I know other people do, and so I get also why they wrote that in there, because they're giving the the Spuffy shippers all kinds of, you know, they're giving them all kinds of stuff at this point. We've had several, we've had more seasons of Buffy Spike than we ever had of Buffy Angel, right? I mean, Buffy and Angel were together for, well, I mean, Angel was there since the start, right? So three seasons, a little, mostly two and a half because the first season's only like half as long, but we met Spike in season two and he's been around almost continuously. I mean, I guess he wasn't really there for season three. But he came back for all of four, five, six, and seven. So he's been around way longer than Angel. Um, anyway, not the point. Because I don't pit them up against each other. <laughs> because they're completely different, despite the fact that they're both Angel. They're both angels. They're both vampires with souls now. Anyway. Um, so it makes sense that she kisses him, I think. I think it makes total sense, um, as a hello. And then the, um, Buffy first. So the very last scene, so Buffy and Angel are kissing and then they kind of pan over so that we see for the first time that Spike is seeing this happen. He's in the shadows. And, um, then we see Buffy as the first, the first as Buffy the first as Buffy. That makes more sense. Um, just say that bitch. And that's, and that's when the screen goes black. And I thought <laughs> it's interesting. Cause that's the last, that's the last little fake out teaser at the end of an episode that we will ever get on Buffy. The vampire slayer is that bitch. It's the last one. Because we see Spike just like with this really snarly look, like I think we're supposed to think maybe he's going to be out to get her now, but of course he's not. He's just hurt. And then we have to get a little jealous Spike conversation between her, between him and Buffy later in the episode next week. Oh, I'm, I just shut my, I'm doing it again. It's like, I'm done with ratings now. <laughs> Um, okay, let's do the ratings. Object of the episode. You know what? Even though last week I said that I was going to give it to the scythe as soon as I saw it, 
I'm actually not, because I'm pretty sure we're not going to see this again, but we are going to see the scythe in the next episode, so it's definitely going to be the scythe in the next episode. But this episode, my object is going to be Anya's cardigan. She was just wearing a very simple black cardigan that had, like, flowers embroidered on it, and I was just like, I need one of those. Why don't I already have one of those? Because I definitely need one of those. I'm sure I can find any number of black cardigans with roses embroidered on them or something on Etsy right now. Needs to happen. And I actually have a little bit of extra money in my PayPal balance right now because I just got a payout for something. So yeah, I might be looking for that tonight. <laughs> Outfit of the episode. Um, you know what? I'm going to give it to Buffy just because she's finally fucking wearing something different. <laughs> and she looks good. Just going to give it to Buffy. Quote of the episode. Um, I think it's just going to be the little exchange between Anya and Andrew whenever he says to her. Um, what does he say? I want to get it exactly right. You are the perfect woman. And she says, I've often thought so. Andrew, Anya, exchange. Uh, MVP of the episode. You know what? I'm going to say Buffy because like, you know, this is a very Buffy centric episode. She's had a nap. She's changed her clothes, probably had a shower. She's feeling good. She's on top of things again. She's kind of not apologizing, apologizing. She's having meaningful moments with everyone individually. She is not being an ass about faith. Although at one point there was this throwaway line that pissed me off when she's talking to Spike and she says something about weird mixed signals. I have faith for that. Like what? What? But I am just going to give MVP to Buffy because I don't usually give it to her because it's just kind of default. You know, she is the star of the show, right? Five by five. This is a very good episode. It was pretty solid. There was like some moments that pissed me off here and there. But yeah, I'm going to give it a four out of five, just like the last episode, actually. Okay, we'll be back a week from today to talk about the very last episode ever of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think most likely I'm going to do some sort of episode a week after next week because I've got to spend some time at some point sitting down with all my Buffy notebooks and compiling the ratings, right? I mean, I guess it doesn't really fucking matter, like the five by five ratings. Like, does anybody really care about that? If anybody really does care how I recap this entire project, what if you guys have any suggestions about how you want me to do it, please email me, Mixtress Ray, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E at protonmail.com. Send me an email with any suggestions um, or just say hi. I'd love to know um, anybody that's been listening. 
for any length of time. I'd love to know, like, you know, a little bit about you, how long you've been listening, like, you know, I'd love to know because I don't really have any feedback on this podcast for the most part because I have no social media presence with this podcast. So people don't like to send emails anymore. So I understand. But hey, I would just love to know if you've been around for a minute, if you've been around for a season, if you just started listening, um, what's your story? I'd love to hear about it. Even if it's, you know, five, 10 years from now and you're, you're just listening to it. Doesn't matter if it's 2023 or not. I want to hear from you. Let me know. I'm always going to have that email address as far as I know. So, um, let me know, let me know a little bit about you. And also if you have, if you are in real time in 2023, May, um, two weeks from today. So it'll be the 27th of May. That's when I want to do sort of a recap episode. Um, where I'm for sure going to go through and reminisce about the object of the episode because that's my favorite, like, I'm not going to go through and list like my ratings for every single episode, but, um, I kind of want to go through my, the coveted object, the object of desire from every episode, um, because several of them I have acquired. (laughs) So I need to make the list of the ones that I haven't acquired yet that I still want to, you know, it's not going to be like every single, I don't need to have something that represents something from every episode of Buffy. That's a bit much because there's like 144 episodes, but I'm pretty sure there's 144 exactly. But anyway, I do want to go through and kind of recap the objects of the episodes and I don't know. I'll have to see what other information I want to compile and yeah, I could even do like this all, this won't all be in one episode, but I could even just like do more recollections maybe throughout the summer. Like I could go back and cause I didn't go through, I had promised at the very beginning of this project, I had promised that anytime there was a commentary on the DVDs that I would watch it. I maybe did that once or twice, but then immediately forgot that I was going to be doing that and have not done it since. So that's something that I absolutely did not do. So I haven't seen like all the fucking commentaries on these episodes, which used to be something that I would nerd out about with like my favorite movies, you know, and I do have all the DVDs. So any commentaries might be fun to watch and then just take a little bit of notes on the commentaries and then come back with any, I don't know. Um, anyway, but I do at least want to do an episode two weeks from today where I do some recapping of this project. So recapping and reminiscing And that way y'all have two weeks from today, as I record this, it is the 13th of May. So you'll have two weeks from today. Well, a little less because I'll be recording exactly two weeks from now. But um, if you do want to introduce yourself and I can also do like a little bit of listener mail stuff, maybe if you have any questions for me. Um, if you have any suggestions for what you want me to do next, I I will be talking about season five of Angel at the end of this year. 
So I'm not really like wrapping up the project. It just feels like I'm wrapping up the project. I am wrapping up the Buffy project, but next we still have a year until I'm done talking about Angel and then we'll have to decide really what to do from there. But um, yeah, I would love to hear from you guys. So send me an email. It's always in the description. And um, yeah, let me know who you are, how long you've been listening. Um, what's your favorite season of Buffy? Who's your, who are your favorite characters? You know, whatever you want, let me know. I would love to hear from you. Okay. That's it for me for today. And I will see you in a week. Bye.